Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, I'm joined by Alessandra Rossi Marchins, an attorney at Machado Mayer, to talk about the Brazilian Central Bank's new public consultation on crypto asset regulation. All right, so we had some big news drop late Thursday evening with the central bank releasing its long-awaited public consultation on crypto asset regulation. So today I'm joined by Alessandra Rossi Marchins, who's a lawyer at Machado Mayer, who's going to help us understand what's happening with this. Uh, Alessandra, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Uh, it's great to be here. And let's talk crypto. Amazing, amazing. So just to get started, why don't you give yourself a quick introduction and talk a bit about your work uh, as it relates to crypto and fintech? Sure. Uh, so I'm a partner at Machad Mayer. I'm in charge of our fintech practice. And I've been playing with crypto since the word was like a bad name in law firms and no one wanted to talk about it. So I remember the first time, like 14 years ago or something, that I joined the partner's office and said, hey, I want to talk about Bitcoin. We should look into it. I said, we don't talk about this. And then like 14 years down the road, every single lawyer wants to be a crypto lawyer. Well, let's and dive into this. But like before we dive into some of the specifics, let's do a quick, quick kind of rewind. And could you give us maybe a quick uh, uh, kind of recap of just how we got to this point? Because I know there's, there's enabling legislation that was passed. The, the bank was officially appointed the regulator. And then there's been we've been waiting for this consultation for a few months now. And then it just finally dropped on us. But maybe you should kind of give us a quick summary of how we got here. Okay, so uh, there was a bill of law that was introduced back in 2015, and that stated that uh, crypto was a currency. And that was a bill that didn't make sense. And the market uh, went to the Congress, Brazilian Congress, and started helping Congress come, with a, come up with a law that would actually be applicable to the crypto market. And taking from the example of our e-payments law, that is very principiological and gives to the regulator the free range to regulate as it fits and to change the regulation in a quick way to adapt to market. So this law, after many years of discussions and back and forth, it was enacted in 2020, 22, actually December last year. And um, the law didn't appoint the central bank in the first time as the regulator. It said there will be someone appointed by the executive power who is going to be the regulator for crypto. Then a few months down the road, uh, after actually the market asking for the central bank to be the regulator, given its approach towards fintech over the last few years, which enables innovation, doesn't prohibit things without understanding and has a, has a very pro-market approach. Uh, in June, central bank was appointed as the regulator. So from then, uh, people were expecting that the regulation would come to be published, uh, be published for public comments in August. It took longer, and now we understand why. Why, when you read the the current document, uh, and central bank uh, just this week, like yesterday, published not a draft of the regulation how they did in the past, but they actually published questions to understand how the market sees potential regulation and potential issues. And only after that, only after having this initial feedback that they will draft the regulation or finalize the drafts that, you know, we know they already have some like uh, general drafts. Uh, we heard of it many times from representatives of the central bank and then come up with the actual regulation. So I think the main point here is a change of approach. Instead of like coming up with a draft and saying people comment, 
they're just asking the questions, trying to understand further how the market works, and then they will come back with a draft regulation. Got it. Got it. So this is this is a, a novelty in a sense. This isn't how they yes. normally operate. They they normally will just release the regulation, be like, "This is what we got," or we'll we'll ask your for your feedback for these regulations. But here, they're just it's just a list of questions that they're putting out that they're asking for input on from from the market. Basically, is that yes? Like getting that right. And I would say it's kind of the third level of the evolution. So first, we would just get the rules, and they would be published, and they would be already effective. Then we got to the second step, was they publish the draft of the rules and say. Give me your comments. Tell me what you think about it. You know, see if this works. If it doesn't work, let's talk about the draft of the regulation. It was already like a built rule. And now it's, uh, it's the third step of the evolution where they're just asking questions and hearing from the market even before the draft regulation is out there. So it's a very uh, inclusive approach and something new. And that's been very well seen by everyone in the market since yesterday. Great, great. And then I, I, I assume you and your team were probably up all night uh, studying this and dissecting it. So I <laughs> would love to get yeah. some, you know, thank you for coming on here to talk about it uh, for one, but I would love to get your, you know, after spending some time digesting this, like what are your big takeaways? What, 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 what's, what, what's interesting? What's, what's novel here? What, what's important? Okay. So I think uh, the, the regulation, uh, the questions, they are divided in eight topics. So the first topic that they deal with is, uh, you know, segregation of the assets and risk management. So there's been a discussion during the bill of law that um, the law would establish that the Bitcoin or the crypto in custody with any service provider would be considered a segregated um, assets, which means that the same thing that whenever you put money into an e-payments um institution like a payment institution that issues e-currency e the real that you deposit with this institution is considered segregated assets which means that this money uh these real funds they are not uh subject to um any adjudication or if the company goes bust it cannot be used to pay employees to pay taxes to pay any other obligations of the company it's uh, segregated and belongs to the individuals that have the accounts. So there's been a long-standing discussion about whether uh, we should do the same thing for Bitcoin and other crypto assets that are deposited with uh, uh, the exchanges or any custody service providers. And the final bill of law, it, it deleted and it excluded all the uh, provisions that dealt specifically with this matter because it's a very... Um, political issue, there are market participants that are against, others are in favor, and there has been a big discussion. So the law, we needed the law. So the law passed in 2022 without these provisions, but central bank took upon themselves to tackle it. So the first question is, uh, they try to explain why, why segregated assets would be an option, but they don't assume that's going to be the only option. And that's the interesting part, because you know since the segregation of assets already works for the central bank in the e-payments law, the expectation was, okay, that's the automatic answer. That's the way they're going to go for it. But when you read through the questions, they're considering many other scenarios from an open scenario, anything that people can suggest from talking about creating the equivalent to an FDIC in the US, which is called, we call in Brazil an FGC. It's the uh, kind of a fund that guarantees up to a threshold deposit of the individual. So it's pretty much the same thing that FDIC does in the US, but creating such an entity for the crypto market. 
they're also asking the market participants which other um, existing features from the incumbents market, for example, that banks use, that we could adapt to this to the crypto market and have as a way to manage risk and risks and tackle issues relating to custody and guarantee that whatever crypto you have deposited with an exchange or any service provider is actually going to be there when you go and you want to get your crypto back. So uh, it's the first uh, subject that's being discussed is the biggest uh, range of the public consultation. So it's the one that they have more questions and more discussions. And we already heard some comments about, okay, let's talk about Basel rules because banks, when you put a deposit, they have to have like minimum capital requirements and they segregate a part of those deposits uh for compliance with Basel rules so can we do this can would that make sense for a crypto market another discussion that central banks is bringing here is uh the practice of staking which is something that we would expect a full uh, prohibition but in the questions they're saying we're not saying we're going to prohibit it if we decide to allow this kind of practice how should we go about it how can you make it safe? How can you make sure that risk is, is going to be managed, managed properly so you don't impose a systemic risk to not only the financial system, but uh, let's say the crypto system now? Um, so I think this is the big, big innovation from the, uh, from the public consultation, consultation is this first uh, batch of rules regarding management of risk, segregated assets, and uh, custody. So we have a lot of other um, minor, let's say, topics like how we're going to go about the, how they're going to go about the grandfathering regime. So companies that are already operating, how hard it is for such companies to adapt to a new regulation. How long do you think it it's going to need? What are the big challenges they're asking the market? So when they come up with this grandfathering uh, regime and how long that's going to take, they want to understand what are the big challenges to make sure that they don't create something that's way too broad. It's going to take like five years, for example, for the market to be fully regulated, but not something that's going to be like six months, which is the minimum according to the law. That's not going to be enough for the market to regulate. And it's kind of the same approach they took towards the payments law. The payments law had a grandfathering provision and the regulation. And when they realized it was not enough time, it was postponed a few times so that people would actually be able to continue operating and it doesn't kill the market. It actually helps it grows. Another very interesting uh, topic that they bring here is what are the roles of the incumbents? So should financial institutions and payment institutions be authorized to operate in the crypto landscape? Should they need a separate license? Can they add the license to their own license or should those licenses be separated? Can we have a bank also getting a license to also operate with crypto assets? Or should the bank uh, conglomerate have to incorporate a separate entity to open and get a separate license to operate in the crypto landscape? So these are all questions they are asking, and that's very interesting too, because a few months ago, um, the main take was that uh, financial institutions and traditional institutions would not be able to operate in the crypto uh, landscape in the same entity. So this discussion about adding a VASP, you know, that we say that's a virtual asset service provider license in a financial institution was out of the question. That was the full expectation. When you read the questions, it's not out of the table. They're actually asking, does it make sense 
what risks this is going to pose, what are the concerns, what are the advantages of having everything in the same entity, and can we have the same kind of controls? Do we need extra controls, and what extra controls would mean for these players? Would it prohibit them from a de facto perspective, from a practical perspective, from actually operating in this landscape? Because that's not the goal. The goal is to have everyone being able to compete equally in this landscape. So how can we make this sure, but also uh, making sure that the system is protected, which is their primary role, is making sure that financial system is uh, protected enough and is not exposed to um, significant risk. That's a new thing that's very interesting too in the rule. I think there's one more topic that I would like to touch upon uh, when they're hiring about, they're talking about hiring essential services. So back in 2017, I guess, when they created the rule on cybersecurity, central bank got a provision that says you can only hire cloud or any cybersecurity services of companies based in Brazil. And that was a big problem. We were at the beginning of the use of cloud services to store data. So banks and financial institutions had their big data centers that were actually physically located here. But at the same time, you got all the fintech and all the new companies coming into the financial system and saying, we're going to use um, Google, we're going to use uh, Microsoft, we're going to use any other service providers to um, store our, our data. And if you're saying that I can only hire a company that's based in Brazil, I cannot use these major service providers to store data. And that was a question that was, okay, these are the major ones. They're the ones that are supposed to be more secure. And you're saying that I can I can only hire the small one that has is being incorporated right now in Brazil. Or we already had a few big ones, but like in comparison in the like grand scheme of things in the world, it's not a fair comparison. And that was something that the central bank was very worried about being able to, you know, send an official letter and get information when needed if you're talking about and hiring entities that are uh, headquartered anywhere. A few years after, they changed the rule and uh, excluded this provision, saying that these service providers can be anywhere, provided that they follow X, Y, and Z rules. And the agreements uh, observe X, Y, and Z minimum requirements. And when we're talking about essential services here, they are kind of taking the same approach, trying to understand what kind of services do you need, who you need to be here, who you need to be abroad, what kind of other services apart from the obvious ones like custody and yeah. uh, know your client. And um, I think usually the obvious ones are know your client service providers and custody. What are the things you need and does it make sense to allow them to be abroad? And one of the specific questions they, they get into, when you get into custody service providers, does it make sense to let the custody be held abroad? And what are the effects of it when I need to go into the judicial system and have an execution or have any kind of adjudication, any kind of judicial procedure to actually find those assets? Um, this is a very interesting approach and you see the evolution of how the regulator looked at, you know, things they did in the past that created a problem at a moment that they're not, uh, let's say, ready to open to service providers abroad. And now they are being very careful to try to understand, can I do this? Should, should I first and can I limit it to uh, companies that are based in Brazil? Is this the best for the market? Is it the most secure? 
or having it open, um, what are the consequences? Because we know most of the companies already use service providers abroad. Why do they do it? I think that's the main question. Why do you go for a service provider that's not here? Explain to me. Uh, and goes again about, you know, what I say is that for this regulation, everything's possible. They're open to hear, you know, opinions on every single important matter that is under discussion up to this moment. That's super yeah. interesting. And, and thank you for that. That that's, that's a lot of information that you've you've managed to synthesize over over the course of the, the night and the, the madrugada. Right. Like it. So thank yes. you for that. That's super, super helpful. Um, and, and it's super interesting. And it, and it kind of goes back to that old principle of like you can't get the right answers if you don't ask the right questions. Right. So, exactly. so I think they're they're in this mode of, um, you know, acknowledging that like, hey, like we're like we don't have all the answers here. We're not necessarily the smartest people in the room when it comes to this stuff. Like we really need to ask the right questions of the industry. Uh, to to get the to get the, the information and the answers that 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 are, are most helpful here, so it sounds like they're taking a very um, productive approach here. So and that it does it does help explain why this this process has been kind of delayed for so long. <laughs> I know people have been waiting for yeah. this for, for several months now, uh, but like it, it's it look good. They've been taking their time. They're trying to get. What's the, the kind right? of delay we like? Yeah, we like this kind of delay. <laughs> we appreciate exactly. it. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and then so. I guess one question here about just, I know there was on Monday of this week, uh, I believe it was on, would have been on the 11th, the the, the central bank did like a live webinar where, where you know, talked for maybe about 45 minutes or so late outlining some of the the principles and some of their goals and things. And they, they touched on some of these themes of, you know, asset segregation and kind of treatment of foreign brokers and things of that nature. And it does, it does sort of feel like they are trying to steer, you know, like they're trying to like how to regulate the foreign brokers is this kind of like thorn in their side that they can't really figure out. Um, and just would like your initial thoughts on, on, you know, how just based on your reading of this, of this consultation, like how are they kind of treating this issue? How are they approaching this question based on, on the information we've received this week? So it's a tricky question. Uh, and it's a true question not for me. It's a true question for the regulator because, uh, when you're talking about services that are provided online, uh, it's very hard for you to say you cannot do it. So you cannot go online and find a website or use a VPN because that's what people do nowadays, find a service provider and hire these services. The problem is we have a legal problem here is where can, what can central bank regulate? So what is the extent of their power to regulate and supervise the market? And when you talk about foreign service providers in general, uh, even they are servicing Brazilian customers, they will be covered by consumer law. But general rule, it's very complicated for uh, secondary rules to be applied to the service providers, unless you have something in the law that specifically deals with that. So usually what they require, and that's how the financial system works, is that you have to set up a company in Brazil to provide X, Y, and Z services. And... And I'm not saying that's the approach the regulator is going to take here. I'm saying like, historically, that's how it works. For you to provide this kind of service, you have to set up a company, a subsidiary in Brazil, and that subsidiary will have to be licensed. Whenever you're offering that services, that's how we regulate that offering of those services can only be done by licensed entities. And that's how it goes for financial institutions and payment institutions. The offering of financial services is private of financial institutions. The offering of payment services is private of payment institutions. We are talking about rules that were built. The payment payments law is from 13 years ago, from, from 2013, from uh, 20 years ago, sorry. Uh, and the uh, financial institutions law dates back from the 60s. So 
we are not in the same world anymore. And that's the challenge. How can I make sure that competition and these foreign players come to Brazil and offer services and improve the level of service to Brazilian customers? But at the same time, how do I make sure that minimum rules protecting customers, dealing with money laundering, sanctions, um, and also kind of a level playing field because local players, they will have to be licensed and they will have a regulatory cost. How can I make sure that people that are coming abroad and offering the services directly to Brazilians, for example, uh, and are not regulated, they're observing, observing the same standards and they're not taking advantage of the fact that they are not regulated. So there are many questions that are involved in this. And here in the, in the public consultation, the consultation, they kind of touch some points on how custody uh, being held abroad, some other services being held abroad, but they do not ask these specific questions, which is very interesting because at the end of the day, this is more of a legal question and a decision on how they want to regulate and how the principles of the law, which among other things are protection of consumer, making sure that uh, anti-money laundering law is observed, that crimes are not committed, and um, that competition is observed, they are guaranteed because that's the role of the regulator. They have to abide by the principles set forth in the law. So I see this discussion about foreign uh, service providers that are not planning to be based in Brazil. It's more of a legal discussion and there's you know little room to operate with that than more of how we are gonna regulate. Got and it, I think got that's it. That's the tricky part because they don't want to prohibit it. No one wants things to be prohibited. That's not the approach of this central bank. Central bank is okay, I understand how I make it work, but this is a question that's not so easy to adapt and make it work. So I don't think the public consultation will give us much hints about this specific topic. That's something that will come from their legal department and discussions and um, lawyers helping with this and coming up with a solution much more based on what the law allows them to do as like a, uh, a regulator and what's the delegation of powers that they have as opposed to just coming up with some rule that will change things. There's a a limit like it's kind of the non-delegation theory in the us there's a limit to what the regulator can do and he cannot supersede these limitations that the law has established for their operation for their uh regulations got it got it so just moving ahead here or looking looking ahead to the next you know six 12 months um so we'll have it looks like the submissions or the comment period is open until the end of january uh for folks to submit answers to all these questions uh, and then, uh, sort of like what happens after that, I guess, what's, what's the, what, first, what's the process, what does the process look like? First, we're going to have a very busy holiday season and summer here, but, uh, <laughs> but when we, I'm not complaining, that's exactly what we like. But apart from that, uh, they're going to, what they usually do and the expectations that they're, you know, receive all the comments, the comments are usually public. So everyone can read everyone else's comments. They are submitted to a public system and it's going to be available in the central bank website. Um, and after that, they will kind of digest. Usually it happens like some um, events or some meetings inviting people to come and, you know, explain what they mean in some of those comments. Uh, really this kind of digesting of what people are asking and saying. Uh, and I expect that I would say by the mid of next year, we are going to get, have the draft regulations. For this level of questions and so many questions, 
I wouldn't bet it, we would have the draft regulation before mid next year. And it's not, you know, even reasonable for us to expect. If you want this level of regulation and this level of understanding in the market, which is a good thing, we need to understand that it takes time. And it's only Got fair. It. Um, and then, and then, so it, it looks like the timeline is that they're going to release like a second consultation in like April or May ish as well. They're going to, so they're going yeah. to basically take all these questions, aggregate everything, come up with a draft, and then put that draft back out for public exactly. comment again. That's uh, my need April. next year, next step. It's the oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So you think that's going to come out? Okay, and then so that yeah. will be that will be put forth for public comment as well, and then exactly. and then the official like kind of fully codified uh, official version would come out maybe like. Around, around this time September next year, maybe? I would say around September. This second uh, step is usually faster because usually the regulator has like, it's going to hear the market about you know, wording and some comments. But if you look back at the FinTech rule, it uh, after the public consultation and all the comments, it took about two or three months for the final rule to be published. Uh, so when you look at the open banking, it was more or less this timeline too. I think Bix, I don't recall exactly, but it wasn't like too long either. So the second step is uh, we they already have the draft regulation. They usually have their mindset on a lot of the main points. They just want to hear about wording, things that the way they write somehow may, you know, be interpreted in X, Y, and Z ways. So they hear everyone and kind of make some minor adjustments to the rule and then publish the final rule. And then we should have like the grandfathering uh, structure. So it doesn't mean that the rule is gonna be applicable right away to everyone. So we expect that there will be uh, an adapting period for people that are already operating or people that will start operating after it. So- um, Got it, got it. And that's then- That's thing for people that wanna set up their business in Brazil. Usually the grandfathering rule, it works in a way that it applies differently for companies that are already operating as opposed to those that are going to start their operations so they don't have any kind of business yet and the grandfathering it benefits differently those different entities that's how it happened in the past for other services so there is uh we've been seeing this for a while this kind of rush of like companies wanting to start operating as soon as possible with this fear that if they don't they will not benefit from the grandfathering rule so one thing that's helpful is like reading what, what is in this question, reading the comments, and then having like the other, the actually draft rules will help people prepare and make sure that they will benefit from, uh, to the extent possible, of course, to the grandfathering rule once it, you know, is effectively enacted. That's the one thing that we should keep our eyes on uh, for anyone that's planning to, you know, come to market to Brazil for the next like two, three years, I would say, keep an eye on the grandfathering regime for this rule. Um, Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That, that's super helpful. Um, and super important context. Um, I guess just to wrap up here, um, one last question, like who are the the people that like should be filling out these or that should be submitting comments here and answering these questions. I, I was just on the site this morning, just looking at some of the, there's already like 10 or 12 comments already in there. So people are obviously You're excited about everything. this yeah. and there's They're like, you know, like, somebody, somebody's like, you know, it's like, don't ban Bitcoin. You know, another person's like, better because they charge lower fees you know yeah. like, it was just kind of like random stuff right but like i mean who are the people that i mean obviously like they're trying to it's a public consultation so it's open to everybody right but like yeah. i guess who are the people that like the central bank wants to hear from i guess like how would you it describe was clear that to everyone to that will be in business in this market you know that will be affected by it uh so they want like meaningful insightful comments like 
based on like precedent and study and actual practices. So the main companies or any company that is in this business or planning to be in this business, it's not open only to Brazilians. So foreign companies planning on coming to Brazil um, and setting up businesses uh, in the crypto landscape, they can send comments as well. The tricky part is that comments has to be in Portuguese. So we do this sometimes we help companies draft out everything in English, help them understand, and then we just translate it and submit it. so anyone, and not only the crypto entities, but also the incumbents. So they want to hear the banks. They want to hear because, you know, one of the discussions is if you're a bank and you want to do crypto, and we saw that Itaú just launched that tokenization platform last week. So we know, you know, the incumbents, they are looking at it too. So how are you going to go about you? What do you want me to do? How would that work? What are your plans in terms of, you know, entering this market? Because the other question is, if you are the incumbent and you don't plan on entering this market, I'm not going to waste time doing this. You know, that's a discussion that central banks usually say, I want to waste my, uh, spend my time, not waste, but spend my time in things that are going to be useful for the market. I'm not going to stay here three months discussing something that no one's interested in doing. So that's also where these questions go. But we fully expect that financial institutions will be operating with crypto. There is a lot of interest with that, a lot of interest from you know, incumbents part, and they are the ones who also are going to submit comments. So anyone that is involved in this business that wants to set up a business in Brazil, let's say again, the next few years has already a plan, can participate and should participate to this uh, public consultation. Amazing. Uh, Well, Alessandra, thanks so much for your time this morning. Uh, How can folks get in touch if they want to learn more? Uh, If they want to learn more, they can go to our website. Uh, It's machadomayor.com.br. And uh, just find my email or uh, just find my LinkedIn. It's Alessandra Carolina Rossi Martins. I think these are the easiest ways uh, to get in touch. Uh, And I'm happy to talk to anyone interested in talking crypto in Brazil. Amazing. Well, thanks, Alessandra, so much for your time. And thanks, Evan, for listening. And we'll be tracking this subject closely uh, in the coming months, as it's obviously a pretty big deal, much anticipated. So Uh, Thanks so much, Alessandra, for coming on and helping us to better understand this. Thank you, Aaron, for the invitation.